Jesus is coming again. We've got to that point in Revelation. We'll read just one verse tonight, and this will be a bit of a platform for what we're going to speak about or talk about together. Revelation 19 and verse 11. The word of God reads this. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. Let's pause for a word of prayer, shall we? Heavenly Father, we do thank you, Lord, for just the opportunity to gather and just be with one another, but most importantly, to be with you, to worship you, Lord, and to sing about you and to remember that you are coming again. And Lord, we thank you for that. We are not those that are without hope, but we have the blessed hope, the return of our Saviour, our Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. We have the amazing message of grace. And we've received grace. Lord, we know that there's no good thing in us. That all our righteousness is like filthy rags before you. We know that there's nothing we could have done to deal with our sin. That's why you had to step in. And we thank you for grace. We thank you for mercy. We thank you for your truth and your word. And we thank you that one day you're coming again. That your kingdom will be established. That the wickedness and evil and the things that we see in this world will be no more. That one day we will be in eternity. Without sin, without sorrow, without shame. Well, we thank you that you are indeed coming again. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so this evening what I wanted to do is we are at that point where we have the rider and the white horse and... and um, Jesus is coming back. He's about to return. But what I wanted to do was really get these two things. While we're here, before we kind of really get into, you know, some of the other stuff about his return as he steps foot on earth, I wanted to really lay out just to, uh, and take some time to compare these two events because, you know, believe it or not, what, what we believe in this church in what I call the pre-tribulational rapture, what's known as that, is that we've looked at this tribulation period, the seven years of, of, of Jacob's trouble, that, that the church is gone before that happens. That's the position we take at this church. There are other positions, but the, the most other prominent one is what's known as a, a post-tribulation position, which really is that when Christ returns, as we are in Revelation 19 here, it's the same event as what we call the rapture, that really we go up to meet him, he meets us, and then we come down. That, that's the commonly held view, certainly in this country. Um, but what I wanted to do tonight, as we just compare these two views, I wanted to do that, compare them, just look at scripture, that's what we're going to do. So we're just going to go through our Bibles together, look at some scriptures and compare these things together and see, are they really the same event? Because that's the, that's the crucial thing. Because if we take this post-tribulational rapture view, we say that the return of Christ, the glorious appearing of Christ, the perusia of Christ, as Revelation 19, as he comes on the white horse, is the same event as, as the rapture. But what does scripture say? And then what can we deduce? You know, there's no scripture that says 
for those that are coming after, the rapture happens before the time of Jacob's trouble, and it's definitely not the same event as the return. It, it would be nice if there was just one little scripture verse that I could point to. Maybe that's Jude chapter 2, the forgotten chapter, or the lost chapter. But you can get to that point. I can summarize that by looking at scripture as a whole. No, 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 no argument is ever built off one verse. Unless it's as clear as clear can be. And actually, even at that, you know, the, the, the obscure doesn't, doesn't determine the clear. It's the other way around. So we're going to have a look at it um, this afternoon, this evening. I'm still not sure what we call this. Is it the afternoon? Or, yeah, okay, then we'll do the afternoon. We'll do the afternoon. So here's, here's the first thing we're going to look at between these two. The differences. Number one, Christ comes in the air for his own. That happens at the rapture. At the return, Christ comes with his own to the earth. So very, very distinct. So first scripture we're going to go to and we're going to have a look at is the classic rapture scripture. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4 verse 13. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4 and uh, we'll read from verse 13 down to verse 18. The Apostle Paul teaching one of the first letters, I think the first letter actually in the New Testament. Paul writes this, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God. The dead in Christ shall rise first, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. If you go back just one chapter... Verse number 13 of chapter 3 says this To the end that he may establish or establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even of our, at our Father, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. So, 1 Thessalonians, we're talking, this is the classic rapture um, text, that Christ comes to the air and we meet him in the air. 1 Thessalonians 3.13, speaking about the return, that he comes with his saints. Jude, chapter 1, verse 14. You always know who reads the Bible when you do a Jude chapter 2 joke. <laughs> so Jude 14, verse 14. says, And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousand of his saints. Enoch, prophesying about the return of the Lord, says that he comes with 10,000 of his saints. Now I turn to Acts chapter number 1, verse 1. Here the Lord makes it very clear, or it's made very clear, sorry, in Acts chapter number 1, verse 11. These two angels say to the disciples as they're gathered, 
Verse 11, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. This is talking about his return. So Christ goes, he departs, he goes to heaven. He goes to heaven from where? Earth. Here they are, they're gathered, they're, they're really looking for the kingdom. What's going on here? Where's the throne of David? Where, where is the Messiah's reign? What's happening? And, and basically they're told the Messiah's gone, but he's going to come back in the same way that, he's, that he went. So it's the reverse. He went from earth to heaven. That means he's coming back from heaven to earth. Now, most people believe that, that the Lord is returning. But is this the same event as the rapture? I don't think it is. Because we're caught up to meet the Lord in the air. So we're going to then be with him. We're going to look at that a little bit later on. So I don't want to go too far into the verses. And when Christ comes back, he comes back not to go to heaven. He comes back to come firmly to earth. To rule and to reign. The throne of David, the Davidic covenant, 2 Samuel chapter number 7. I'll read it to you. You can turn there. But this is important in understanding the return. It's about the covenants. And it's about certainly uh, the Davidic covenant in 2 Samuel chapter number 7, verse 12. It says, When thy days be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels. And I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. That's the Davidic throne that's promised. And when Christ returns, that is the throne that's going to be set up. Matthew 25. Turn there. Matthew 25 verse 31. This is an important verse in understanding it. You say, well, isn't the, the son seated at the right hand of the father? Isn't he on the throne of heaven? Yes, he is. But there's another throne that is not yet occupied, that will be occupied in fulfillment to the Davidic covenant. Matthew 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory, this is the return, with all the holy angels with him, then he shall sit upon the throne of his glory. What is that throne of his glory? It's the throne of David. It's the Davidic covenant. So when we straight away look at rapture and return, in the rapture, the church is taken, snatched, plucked, taken, and we meet the Lord in the air. That's what Paul says. We meet him in the air in the twinkling of an eye. With the return, Christ is coming back with his saints. The rapture is coming for his saints. When the return happens, he's coming back with his saints. Now, another verse that we can look at, and I'll put this on as we look at our second one is that Christians are taken to the Father's house where the resurrected saints do not see the Father's house. What do I mean by that? Turn to John chapter 14. These should be familiar passages but we want to put this in the, in the, in the kind of panorama as we look at these events and see that they're, they are different. And this ties into our first point because in John chapter number 14 Jesus said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. So where's the Father's house? We have to ask. We critically analyze this text. Is Jesus talking about somewhere on earth? No. He's talking about heaven, right? 
In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. So at the rapture, we're taken to be with the Lord in heaven. At the return, we come back with the Lord to go to earth. This concept of the Father's house isn't for anybody other than the church. The church, the saints. So, you know, put this together. If the rapture and the return are the same event, we put them together in the same event, and this is what people teach, it's like a yo-yo. That we go up into the air, we meet the Lord, and then when we meet him in the air, we come down to heaven with him. But where does John 14 fit in this? Where the Lord says that I go to prepare a place for you, that where I am, you may be also. It's heaven. So that doesn't happen at the return, but it does happen at the rapture, I believe. So when you look at these events, you can, you can see um, that there is this contrast between them. Next one. No judgment on earth at the rapture. It doesn't speak about any judgment on earth. You look at the, the passages that point to uh, the rapture, the snatching away of the church. There's no judgment on earth at all. The only judgment that we talk about in, in, in heaven is the, the bema seat of Christ for the saints, for, you know, before the marriage takes place, I believe. And we looked, didn't we, at the, the marriage in heaven. But there's, when Christ comes back, when there's the return, let's look at Revelation 19 and verse 11. Notice the language. Revelation 19, verse 11. I saw heaven open, behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth what? Judge and make war. Who's Christ judging? He's going to judge Israel as a nation. He's going to judge the Gentile nations, the living nations that are on earth. This is the sheep and the goats. He's going to judge Israel. That's what's prophesied. So you'll find this in Ezekiel uh, chapter 20. We don't have to read there. If you want some reading, you can go into Ezekiel. Ezekiel 20 and verses 34 to 38. And you'll t- see about the time where God is going to uh, make a, a rod to pass over um, those that were in the covenant, Israel. That he's going to deal with that nation. And on his return, he will deal with that nation. No doubt about it. He also deals with the Gentile nations, the nations that are there and when the Christ returns. So you've got Israel and the rest, basically. So Matthew 25, you want to have a look at that? Matthew 25 and verse number 31. Matthew 25 and verse 31. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory... All the holy angels with him. Then he shall sit upon the throne of his glory. So we looked at that. This is the return, definitely. And before him shall be gathered all nations. He shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divided the sheep from the goats. So this is the judgment of the sheep and the goats. This happens on earth. This is a judgment on earth. Tribulation saints will see that they're judged. If you go to Revelation chapter number 20. In verse number 4, it says, And I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw 
the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither received the mark, uh, his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection, and such death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. So these are the tribulation saints. These are going to be raised from the dead, receive their glorified body. They're going to go into the kingdom, and they're going to uh, reign with Christ. That's what the word of God tells us there. So you have, at the return, this time of judgment that's happening on, on, on earth. But at the rapture and the verses that point to it, there's no, no form of earthly judgment. Anything you can point to in form, for, in form of judgment is heavenly. So what am I saying here? Like not, no one of these things on its own is enough. But when you start to build the case, you build it together, and we're starting to take something that people have together, and we're starting to bring it apart by just looking at scriptural arguments. Next one. And we touched on this last week, if you remember. The rapture is a time of joy. You know, the, you know, it's the marriage supper of the Lamb. We're, we're going to heaven. We're the, we're the church. Titus 2.13 says we're looking for that blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So the rapture, definitely, time of joy. That's what's said in, in, in Thessalonians. Comfort one another with this. The return... It's not a time of joy. It's a time of mourning. Let's, let's look at Revelation 19 and we'll, we'll see. You know, Revelation 19, 11, we have the rider in the white horse, the Lord Jesus Christ, I believe, faithful and true. It says in righteousness he does judge and make war. And then let's read what it says. Verse 12. His eyes were as a flame of fire. On his head were many crowns and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. This is Christ. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in white linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth was a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he should rule them with a rod of iron. He treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. You can read on and you'll find that he's a vesture dipped in blood. He treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. It sounds like a very joyous time to me. Turn to Zechariah chapter number 12. Zechariah chapter 12. Verse number 10. Zechariah 12.10, talking about that day, says, And I will pour upon the house of David, upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and of supplications, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourned for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. When Christ returns and Israel sees that they pierce the Messiah. It's not going to be a time of joy. It's going to be a time of mourning. 
him a grief as they look upon him and see him for who he is. So you have these very different conceptual things. We have the rapture, the church in heaven, the marriage of the bride of Christ to Christ. But the return has a different tone altogether. Next. The rapture, we believe, happens before the day of wrath, tribulation. The return, we believe, happens after. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5, verse 9 and 10 says this, For God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. God's not appointed us to wrath. If we've learned anything from our studies in Revelation, that once we get into chapter 4 and start to go on, we see a lot of wrath, don't we? And I say to you that personally I believe the body of Christ, that is the church, has only, only faced the wrath of God once. Take the body of Christ on the cross, that spiritual analogy, the wrath of God was poured upon him. He said, it's finished, it's done. There's no way I believe that we face the wrath of God again. We're spared from the wrath to come, but at the return... We're told that it's after the day of wrath. Turn to Matthew 24, verse 29. Matthew 24, verse 29. Matthew 24, verse 29 says, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, Shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light and the stars shall fall from heaven and the powers of heaven shall be shaken and there shall appear a sign of the Son of Man in heaven and then all the tribes of the earth mourn and they shall see the Son of Man coming in clouds of heaven with power and great glory. The return happens after the wrath of God. So it says immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun return. So there's a difference there. Next difference. When we deal with the rapture, there's no mention of Satan in there at all. He doesn't get a look in in any of the texts that we point to as rapture texts. But when we deal with the return, look at Revelation chapter number 20, verse 1 and 2. This happens at the return of Christ. It says, And I saw an angel come down from heaven having a key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. Now we'll deal with that when we get there. But what I want you to see is that you go and look at any scripture that we point to as a rapture scripture, you don't get a mention of Satan. Because it's a joyous occasion. This is to deal with the bride of Christ being married to the one she's promised to. It's beautiful. But the return, you know, Christ is making war. Satan is being bound. And the kingdom comes in. So again, just another little difference. We've had the marriage of the Lamb, Revelation 19, verse 7. But then when we deal, and we've looked already at Jude 14, that when the Lord returns, he returns with his bride, his saints. So again, different little events. Next one. 
At the rapture, only his own will see him. But at the return, Scripture tells us that every eye will see him. So 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 reads this, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We're looking for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our Lord. Turn to Revelation chapter number 1 and verse 7. Revelation 1 and verse 7 says, Behold, he comes with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him. Again, what's that reference to? This is reference to what we talked about in Zechariah 12. And all the kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. It's not very joyous, is it? No. So who's going to see him at the return? Every eye. At the rapture, who sees him? His own. There's a difference there. There's a difference. Let me turn to Mark chapter 14 and verse 60. Just as a little side note here. When it says there in Revelation 1 that every eye shall see him, it means every eye. People are like, well, how could this, you know, this is the, the, the thing that makes me laugh. Is people have said, well, now, now the Lord can return because we have the technology available that if he was to return and the cameras were on him, technology around the world, everybody could see it. If somebody hasn't got the telephone, right? But here's the thing. The Lord couldn't return before that. He's waiting for technology. The supernatural God that could raise Christ from the dead, that created the heavens and the earth, that holds ever into existence. We only have technology because he has given us will, intellect, and emotion to come up with that stuff. No. Not waiting for the technology. Mark 14. Verse 60 will prove it. It says, In the high priest, this is Jesus' trial, it says, The high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, saying, Answerest thou nothing? What is it which these witnesses against thee? But he held his peace and answered nothing. Again the high priest asked him and said unto him, Art thou the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus actually responds here, if you look in the other Gospels, it's because he's adjured. And the high priest brings him to the law. And one of the requirements then of this kind of adjournment in the law is that he had to speak or he would have broken the law. Notice what Jesus says. I am the self-existent one. Jesus didn't say he was God. (laughs) Yes, he did. I am. And ye shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Not going, coming. Who's he said this to? Priest. Where's the priest today? This one definitely. He's dead as a dodo, is he not? They're dead. What's the Lord say? You're going to see me when I come again. What am I telling you? It's not technology. 
This is the revelation of God as he unveils himself, as he comes to earth as a warrior king. And when he says, every eye will see him, every eye will see him. That's the contents of hell, the contents of heaven, and everybody on earth will bear witness to the returning king, every single one. But the rapture is different. They're not all going to see him. Twinkling of an eye. Literally a nanosecond. We're gone. They're not going to see him. They're not going to see us. The world's going to scramble to come up with something to explain it. But the return's very different. The rapture is a private event. I want to say this with all, all humility. It's a members-only club. It's a members-only club. How do I become a member? Repentance and faith. Ask the Lord Jesus Christ to save you and you'll get entry forever. But the return is a very public event. And every eye will see him. Next one then. Last one. No signs for the rapture. Many signs for the return. And again, this is where I think is one of the strongest arguments for the pre-tribulational rapture is imminency. Imminency. What do I mean by imminency? Come on, church. Overhanging. That's a brilliant, brilliant. That's it. Imminency doesn't mean that it is definitely going to happen soon. To imminency to us, that's the way we kind of think about it. But the real meaning of imminency is that it could happen at any time. That it could happen now. That it could happen in 5,000 years. But it would never change from being imminent. And that's what the rapture is. An imminent event. That's why Paul had to write in Thessalonians and teach about it. It's always been imminent. They've always been waiting for the return of the Lord, the blessed hope. That hasn't changed since Christ left. Imminent. And for it to be imminent, it has to be signless. What do I mean by that? We can see the seasons, the signs of the times. But there is no countdown marker for the rapture. Oh, Israel had to be in the land. No, no, it didn't. The program of Israel and the church are two different things. One does not affect the other. God will deal with Israel in his own time. The church, God has been gracious. The doors of grace have been open. But he could have shut them after five years. It's God's prerogative. He's sovereign. The rapture doesn't have anything. It doesn't need anything to be fulfilled. Not at all. It's always been imminent from the early church right through to the Laodicean age that we live in. That's the imminency of the rapture. But any other view takes that away. And you can signpost it. You can start a clock from it. Say, I've seen this event, therefore, X, Y, and Z, the Lord's going to come back in three and a half years. And God cannot go against his word. So he's bound to that. But the pre-tribulational rapture doesn't have that. Whereas this return of Christ, the second coming of Christ, the parousia has sign after sign after sign. Number one, Israel does have to be back in the land. It does. These are all signs with Israel. You read Matthew 24 and, and verse 29 and it tells you about the tribulation in those days. The sun shall be darkened, the moon shall not give her light, the stars shall fall from heaven. 
And I could go on and on with the signs that are to appear before the Lord returns in relation to Israel and the land and the people and everything else that's going on there. I'll take you to Daniel 9. I'll take you to the agreement between Antichrist and Israel. These are all signs. And if we were on earth at that point, we would see them clearly. And then we could say, the Lord is on his way. You could stand in the pulpit and say, seven years, he'll be here. Count down. But that's not imminency. That's not what the rapture teaches. And actually, that mentality where we can't wait for a sign for the Lord to appear and we can count them down, breeds apathy. It doesn't promote the urgency of the hour. I was speaking on Friday night at a, at a prophecy meeting. And I was speaking to a guy and uh, I was going through some stuff in, in Israel with him and he was like, you know, only in the last couple of months have I realized that, that the church has its own program and we could be taken at any, any time. And he says, in the last couple of months, I've realized I don't have time. I don't have time. It's a rapture. It's imminent. The return is signposted. You can count it down until the Lord lands on the heavenly runway in the Mount of Olives and goes about everything that he said he would do. So what am I saying to you tonight, church? And I'll I'll leave you with this. There are other things we can look at. This is not the exhaustion of the list. Neither is the exhaustion of the points as we've gone through the list. What am I saying to you? I'm saying to you simply this. Do not fall for the notion that the rapture and the return are the same event and explain it away like that. They are clearly different. There are differences. Because this is not a popular view and people will look at you and think you're crazy. You're a mad American prophecy crazy person because you think these two are separate events. I'm trying to show you logically that actually the logical view is that they're not. The crazy view is that this is the same event. Where scripture, I believe, teaches that they're two separate events. So, I know we've been taught this stuff in this church, but this goes out on the internet. And many people haven't heard it. They haven't heard it explained, logically put together. So I hope that it challenges somebody that's listening. I hope it's challenged you. And then, next week, we've no evening service. The week after that, we'll get into Revelation 19. We'll see the Lord step foot on the, uh, well, he returned to the Mount of Olives. He won't put his foot down. He'll deal with the enemies of Israel and we'll see the kingdom being established. So let's leave it.